Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Ben White transfer saga of the podcast, winding up all the fans to a point of frenzy. And I'm joined by the transfer rumour of the podcast, Joe Hill, offering so much but being ingloriously debunked by Phil Hay. (laughs) And finally the Leeds United communication strategy of the podcast, mystifying, largely missing and raising more questions than it answers. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? I'm all right. Well, you know, life is a search for better questions rather than a search for answers, isn't it? So I'm perfectly happy with that one, actually. Thanks, John. (laughs) (laughs) That's way too deep. (laughs) Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not bad, thanks. I'm, I'm glad the weather's cooled down, so I'm not sweating quite so much doing this podcast, which is nice. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I've sweated more doing a podcast than I did when we did the last podcast. So hopefully yeah. there'll be a, a performance like a, like a computer if you keep it cool that produces better work. So hopefully we'll be the same uh, with this one. But uh, yeah, so welcome to the first of our uh, scouting report uh, episodes. What we're going to do in this episode is um, trace a couple of Leeds players actually through their careers and through the last season, have a conversation uh, about about the their careers and how they've played this season the things that strike us about their play styles um, and various exciting things along the way. Um, today we are going to do Patrick Bamford and Mateusz Klick because these are the two players that you chose um, on in a vote. I, I should say Mateusz Klick because that's how you say it properly. No, okay. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to Klick. You just sort of like hey, at the end of it, to, and and that's fine apparently. Um, but we don't we, we don't want to get huge amounts of fan um, mail coming in just about the way that we pronounce that. So apologies if we mispronounce it later on. Um, we are aware of the correct pronunciation. Um, before we jump into the scouting reports, though, we are just going to cover uh, any news. And um, if you are a Leeds fan and you've been following the Leeds United channels, you will know that there, there is in fact very little news to be had. And you're probably champing at the bits to hear of just any um, signing at this point in time. Um, the the signing for this week was a, an under 17s goalkeeper from, or a 17 year old goalkeeper, I should say, from Ajax Amsterdam, um, Danny van den Heuvel. 
Um, and that's about it. That's as exciting as we're going to get. I have no thoughts on Danny van den Heuvel, um, and I'm sure no one else in, in, this, in this chat does. I'm going to make no predictions about him being the best goalkeeper in the world in 10 years. That's not. I've got form for that, but not this time. You've already got one to focus on at the moment, haven't you? You're a young goalkeeper, so we'll leave that. Beyond that, we should mention that this morning Tifo have put out a sensible transfer uh, video for Leeds United, um, which is well worth you watching. If you head over to Tifo on YouTube and, and have a watch of that, it's an eight-minute video, so it won't take too much of your time. And hopefully I will be chatting to Alex Stewart um, about this video again we had him on a bonus episode um, recently on our Patreon account but we will be having him on a I think we'll do a bonus episode on the free to air account so you should be able to listen to that and we'll just have a chat through the players that he mentioned in that video um, but beyond that I don't think there's any other business does anyone have anything else to say are we happy to just jump in to talk about um, Leeds United players in depth let's crack on wonderful so, Mateusz Klich, um, a player who I think is actually quite an interesting player in many respects. I think um, having spent the last few days watching a few of his games, um, reading through his history, having a look at his stats, um, strikes me as, I think, and I don't want to regret this, but it strikes me as a bit of a Thomas Muller type player. Um, a little bit unstated, uh, very positionally aware and um, a very effective um, member of the team, although maybe not rated as much as he should be so that's just a teaser for what we're going to say but let's just jump in we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the history of the player I'll just run through it quickly um it's a it's a very um it's a very interesting career I suppose for a Leeds player so um he starts off at a <laughs> at a place called Cracovia which as far as I was aware was was a fictional country or <laughs> city in uh, the terminal um apparently it's got a football team um in in Poland but very quickly moves to to VFL Wolfsburg um and uh, from there goes on loan to the Netherlands, which is obviously where he spends a bit of his, his career. After that, um, goes to PEC Zwolle, um, returns to Wolfsburg because they had a um, buyback clause. Um, and then in his Wikipedia page, he has a, a wonderful um, line which said, uh, which goes like this, after struggling to displace regular starters Kevin De Bruyne, Josh, Joshua Giovogi and Luis Gustavo in the centre midfield positions, he was only used in the reserve team. So Mateus Klick had a, had a disappointing return to Wolfsburg where he failed to uh, knock Kevin De Bruyne out of the team. It's just not good enough, is it? It's just not good enough. <laughs> well, it certainly raised questions about whether or not we should have him in our midfield as well. So. Um, <laughs> But for having failed to knock KDB out of the Wolfsburg team, he he goes off to Kaiserslautern uh, again in 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 the German leagues, um, and from there goes to FC Twente in in the Netherlands, and from Twente he goes to Leeds. Obviously, at Leeds he has a little bit of a um, a, a period in Utrecht uh, on loan that we all know about, and um, I'm sure we'll talk about his time at Leeds. But let's just talk a little bit about um, uh, about his uh, career so far. I should mention as well that. Um, he did play in. He has. He has got international uh, caps as well, um, and in many respects, his time at Leeds has made him. Um, on, he's put him on the radar of the international team. Yes, yeah, he's established now, isn't he? He's established international. Right? I think so. Yeah. 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 So uh, which, and I think he's probably in term, in that respect, he's probably one of our most successful players in that regard, uh, in terms of being being an established international for a good international side, um, which is which is fun. Does anyone have anything that they want to talk about in terms of um, um, his career? Do you, want to, do you want to kick us off, Darren? 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose when you look you look back at his career pre Leeds, you'd, you'd kind of say that, that that overall it's pretty unremarkable, isn't it? He's kind of bouncing around various German and Dutch clubs, never really seeming to settle, never really seeming to necessarily nail down a place. Um, and it, and in many ways, I suppose that makes him a classic kind of early Victor Arta signing in the sense that that he's a kind of a bit of a punt on someone who's got good statistics who who has clearly got ability but hasn't really kind of for whatever reason nailed anything down. Um I think it's been it's been really interesting watching watching his development, you know, at Leeds. Um and I'm sure Joel Joel will say a bit more about that. But but yeah, I think he's become a really, really vital part of our our squad and our first team over the last two years and and, and it it's not something that you'd ever necessarily have been able to predict when you look at his career history. Yeah, it it is fascinating, especially given that what we know now about him is that he is he is a very interesting human i think yeah. um he he's i think he stands out as a footballer insofar as he has extracurricular interests that um i think a lot of you don't get the sense that a lot of footballers do um i mean i'm sure they they do but his seem to be kind of a little bit more uh, off the beaten track so obviously the there was a and i think there was the, was it an interview in the polish media where he talked about his love of graffiti and wanting to do yeah. sort of proper proper street graffiti middle of the night stuff um, if he had the chance um, and obviously he has a pretty vibrant personality as well we've uh, I guess we're going to talk later about our favorite moments but one of my favorite moments of him is was just him leading the celebrations at, at Derby County it was it was nice to see him um, sort of having his his moment to, to be able to express himself in that respect um, I'd like us to just talk a little bit before we jump into his leads time at Leeds just the Utrecht um stint that he does where he yeah. goes on loan um because I wonder whether or not this was maybe the moment at which he sort of really started kicking on um I've got again a, I've got another clip from or a section from Wikipedia where it, it mentions that in t- April 2018 um in a 2-2 draw against Heracles Almelo um click uh, created 11 chances and gained an assist and a man of the match award in the match um, and the chance creation by Click was the highest number of chances created in a single Eredivisie match since Christian Eriksen for Ajax in 2012. So he clearly had a, a decent stint at, at Utrecht, and I wonder how much that that played into um, his his revival. Although I think I'm right in saying that Bielsa, it, it wasn't obvious that Bielsa was going to play him, and it was it was there was an injury, wasn't there, that yeah. led to him. Um, coming into the team, he was in the maybe pile, wasn't he? You know, when right. when Bielsa first came in, he, he wasn't by any means somebody that Bielsa necessarily wanted to keep. It was really interesting. I was I was in the I remember the first game against Stoke, Bielsa's first competitive game, and there was a bloke sat behind me who, who kept telling me that that Cleek had made thirty five assists in the previous season. So it was really <laughs> interesting how how kind of he he kind of managed to build this reputation. Um, which wasn't entirely factually accurate, I have to say. But um, you know, in in the Dutch league in the previous season, which kind of seemed to have changed his opi- uh, the fans' opinion about him before he even got a game for Leeds. Yeah, Joe, what are your thoughts on on the career of Mateusz Klich? Well, actually, just mentioning that, it just it did make me wonder as well whether any other manager would have sort of taken a look at Click when he's when he's uh, come back from that loan and just said, send him out on loan again. You know the managers that we were that were being talked about at the time, like Mick McCarthy or whoever. You know, would would he have really come in and 
and seen the same potential that Bielsa did. So I think it says as much about Bielsa as it does about Click that uh, he was able to sort of spot spot that potential and think, you know what, uh, I can really I can really work with this guy, and he's obviously uh, got a, got a huge work ethic. Um, and turn him, make him into the player that that he is today is uh, is quite incredible, really. Mm. Does do either of you have any memories of Click before he went on that Utrecht loan? Just the one. Uh, well, there are two. Joel talk about one of them, but um, for me, the, the the first time I remember him was the he took a penalty in the penalty shootout away at Burnley in the League Cup. And I remember just going, "Ooh, he knows what he's doing," because it was just one, it was just that that patented click penalty where he waits for the keeper to move and then just rolls it in the other corner, um, and and just remember being dead impressed by that. But then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in because uh, this was. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that a lot of Leeds fans will have the same the same memory, but um, it's the obvious uh, slip in the Cardiff game away. Um, which is which is a pretty bad um, slip, you know, and it leads directly to a goal. There's a, there's a I think the Cardiff player ends up nutmegging Ailing or something like that. So it's quite nicely worked, but um, obviously, as as most people will know, um, but just in case there are any new fans or or anyone doesn't know, then after that game, he was dropped by Christiansen, wasn't he? And uh, he was. There's some really interesting interviews at the end of that season where he's he talks about how Christian Christiansen uh, just didn't really speak to him again and just didn't just ignored him basically ignored him to the point when he felt like he wasn't welcome at Leeds um, and he and he ends this interview um, when he's when he's talking about that he ends it by saying he has unfinished business at Leeds which I think is really poignant now now we're looking back and. What an amazing couple of seasons he's he's had! I think it's really great to read to read that. Yeah, I'm just looking back on his stats now, just in terms of his performances in that season, and he only played five. We only made five appearances. Um, he gets hauled off in that Cardiff game um, under Christensen after 67 minutes. Before that, he's played four minutes, 34 minutes, nine minutes, and that's I mean that's basically it. Oh, he plays 21 minutes later on in the season. Um, against Birmingham, so he really doesn't have a chance to shine, and it's, it seems as though he's um, the die is sort of cast in that season. Um, he's given his one chance to shine, and on the basis of one slip, um, he, he he doesn't get it. And I think it's it, it's a remarkable reminder that Marcelo Bielsa is very different to that. You know, Bielsa has this opposite approach, which is you don't base a player's um, place in the team on the on the on the basis of one event um, or many events in the case of Patrick Bamford as we're going to talk about <laughs> next. But I think I think that's a really healthy way of, of, of working with the team because it takes away that sort of pressure of individual moments um, where if you mess up once, that's it, you're frozen out of the squad. Um, with Bielsa, it's, it's almost the other way around. Players have to earn their way into the first team um, rather than mess up their way out of it so I think that's uh it's, it's fascinating seeing that that he went from from whatever this is in total I, uh, let's have a look uh 135 minutes in total in his first season yes that's less than two games um to then playing every game in in the in the next season and then pretty much every game in the season following bar hangover um it's a remarkable turnaround and uh, again it's a it's a remarkable um 
well, I think it's 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 a real testament to what Marcelo Bielsa does that 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 brings him in. But yeah, I I think it's 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 fair for us to say that it's it, it's not surprising that we don't have many memories of Mateus Click before he 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 comes back into the into the fold. Let's talk a little bit about uh, our favourite memories of him. I've already mentioned him sort of. Uh, letting his hair down against Derby, um, Darren. What's your what's your favourite memory of him? Without any shadow of a doubt, in number one position is <laughs> is the the controversial goal against Villa, which I just as soon as I saw him break into the box, I knew he was going to score, and I knew it was going to be controversial, and I knew it was going to be hilarious, and I was proved right on all of those fronts. But I think what's interesting <laughs> is that when you when you think about him. A lot of the, the memories that, that I've got of him anyway are of, of, of various sort of shit housing type behaviours, like the like being in the stand at Derby, like you've mentioned, John, like the controversial goal at Villa, uh, like the against Villa rather, and and the other one would be pouring the water down the Bolton players' back um, during the Malay. The famous clip of him sitting on the floor telling oh, someone yeah. to shut up as well. I don't yeah, know, I can't yeah, know who yeah. it is, but yeah, you know, that's sort of a very gifable image. Though, yeah. It is, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose he's, he's the most gifable of our players in a, in a sense, <laughs> isn't he? Because he's always doing something ridiculous. Uh, so, I, I mean, I enjoy him a lot. Mm. And I think, Jay, you've, you've mentioned as well um, that, that first game back against Stoke as being a, a memory uh, as well. Yeah, I think it's to do with what we were just saying about him sort of getting outed by Christiansen and then... I remember that that first game back and him him getting the opening goal. It just felt like everything had just come together, you know. Um, it was just symbolised what Bielsa was gonna do, how he was gonna turn these players that have no one has any idea whether they're any good or not um, into sort of the best the best players in the championship. And yeah, I, th- I felt like that was a really great moment for Click, and it was also a really great moment for all the Leeds fans that were double checking who the goal scorer was going isn't that the same guy that you know slipped at Cardiff and yeah mm. I think that was that was brilliant for me yeah it's a powerful redemption story really isn't it and um again again as I've mentioned this already but a real it's a real it's really indicative of what Marcelo Bielsa does right is that he takes these players who are just consigned to the dustbin of history um and and makes them into into something else so I think he sort of stands as a as a paragon of that of that sort of Bielsa method Let's talk about what we think is his best game in a lead shirt. Um, uh, we'll kick off with you here, Joe. Um, what's your What's your um, memory of his best game? Well, I was I was struggling to pick one out actually because um, we'll we'll get into this later. But he he often just does work that isn't really recognised by the by the team, or you know he he doesn't score loads of goals, he doesn't get loads of assists. But um, the one that did come to mind was the uh, Borough four nil at home when he scored that screamer uh, from the corner. Um, but watching the highlights back, um, he, he also got, he got another goal in that game, even though it was a, a deflection. But um, he also set up Costa's goal. Um, so he had a hand in three out of the four out of the four goals. And I just think that was one of the games where it was, it was part of that seven-game winning run mm. uh, before Christmas. And the confidence was flowing from, from all the players and... I think Click really came into his own in that in that run and really put in a lot of great performances back to back. 
Yeah, I have a couple of friends who have some. I'm going to get. I'm going to butcher this motto. They have like a tongue-in-cheek motto, which is if you watch the game, you won't see click, but if you watch click, you'll see the game or something like that. I've, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that sort of touches on it. But yeah, Darren, what, what about you? What's your what's your favourite game that he's had? Yeah, like, like Joe, I, I found it difficult to pick one particular one out. Um, although, and, and I think that stands more as testament to his consistency than it does to anything else. Um, he, he's an incredibly consistent performer. Um, but my, the one where I kind of really noticed him being very notably on it was the the away game at Blackburn in the run-in recently where, where he really unbalanced the Blackburn team. Um, he got the assist for Bamford and, and he also got the, got the, real, the, the third goal which really killed off the game. I thought he was excellent in that game and I think he was it was particularly excellent because he was so noticeably poor in the previous game, which was the Luton game at home, and he really turned his performance around. So that that's the one for me. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've got down the Arsenal game in the FA Cup. Uh, first half of that game, I watched that this week, and we absolutely battered Arsenal. Like, um, obviously, Leeds fans will have good memories of that game, but for me, I haven't actually watched it back since we since we were at the stadium, um, and it was just remarkable the amount of. The, the the way that we just cut through that Arsenal side and uh, Mateusz Klick was was very important in that it was it was uh, obviously it's it's easy to to sort of take a a performance like that and try and make it indicative of what's going to happen when we go into the Premier League um, but I think there was a lot of good signs that that Leeds will will um, be at least um, we'll we'll put a good good performance in when they're in the Premier League and I think Mateusz Klick is a big part of that um, because he is as we're going to go on to say I think a really intelligent reader of the game I think he's very positionally aware and um, he, he sort of operates as a fulcrum um, in, in the forward areas um, in a way that I think we often ascribe to Pablo Hernandez but in this instance I think um, yeah we, we we're going to talk about this in a minute but um, he does seem to be a player who will really be um, brought to the fore will really shine in the Premier League, and I'm excited to see that happen. So yeah, I went with with Arsenal in 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 that regard. Right, let's go on to the sort of scouting section more properly. Um, I'll just run through the sort of in, important stats that I've got in front of me from this season in the Championship. Um, so this season in the Championship, he played over 4,000 minutes, which is remarkable, uh, 4,035. Um, looking at his stats in in different areas, I'd say that I mean the standout. The the standout sections are the standout areas really are in the productive side of things. So, um, if you look at his, he 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 has really good xG for a for a midfielder. He pulls about 0.16 xG per 90 minutes. So, yeah, you're looking at a goal every five games. Um, he also pulls 0.13 expected assists. So not just just behind that. So yeah, you, again, you're looking sort of of an assist every. Um, six or seven games um, he also carries the ball into the final third a lot he has um, 5.6 final third entries per 90 and he takes uh, an incredible 6.1 touches in the box per game as well which is which is um, quite important he's also receiving the ball forward a lot as well which I think is testament to his um, to his positional awareness so he receives 23.8 forward passes um, from his teammates every game as well but beyond that you sort of very very much an average player his dribbling isn't particularly good he doesn't win a huge amount of fouls he doesn't win a huge amount of aerials despite being um, quite tall I think we'll talk about that a little bit Um, he doesn't carry the ball out of his own half that much he loses the ball fairly regularly loses the ball 13.6 times per game I mean that's 
that's a stat that needs maybe a little bit of colour because I think um, creative players often do lose the ball a little bit more, so that's not necessarily worrying. Um, but then in terms of his tackle tackles and pressures, you, you, we think of him as being a, a very heavy defensive player, but um, his he, he makes two point one tackles per game, which is just over the uh, the average in the in the top five leagues. Um, so yeah, maybe it's a little bit unfair to compare him to that. But when you talk about Leeds, you think of a, a team who are pretty uh, high pressing. Um, he doesn't have a particularly great tackle success rate. He doesn't make a huge amount of interceptions. So um, he very much is a. I find him quite a, a quite uh, um, an interesting sort of player uh, because he is very productive. Um, and I don't necessarily think of him as being um, bad in in the press. But we'll talk about that. In, in a little while uh, but he yeah he really is a productive fulcrum for for Leeds and that's why I talked about him as being like a Thomas Muller type player you know he 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 is very good at, at being efficient um, and doing the things that you want football players to do um, rather than doing the things that you want football players to do to look good right so what we're going to do is just talk a little bit about strengths and then a little bit about weaknesses and then we'll sum up and we can move on to talk about Pat Bamford so Darren let's start off with with Mateusz Klich's strengths yeah, I, I see him as someone who's got got a lot of different strengths. I think I think one which I think it would be easy to overlook um, is the, the fact that he's always available for games, and and there have been times during the season when we've and, and during the two seasons when we've had huge numbers of injuries, particularly in the midfield, and he's been really the only consistent presence uh, in the midfield throughout that time. So I think. I think that that it would it would be easy to overlook that, but the fact that he's played what ninety one or ninety two games or whatever it was um, consecutively is, is a hu- has been a huge benefit to us, as well as that availability he is always available for the ball, particularly in in the opponent's half, and I think that that really kind of stands out. He knits our play together really in a way which which often goes overlooked. I do see him as being probably the second most important player in our press. Um, just because of the sheer level of energy that he puts into it. So irrespective of whether he actually gets the ball or takes the ball from somebody, um, nobody plays against Click and has a has an easy game. They've, they're always making a decision in a hurry, and I think that he probably often contributes to, to the player who um, his player is passing the ball to, losing it because, um, because of that. Um, I think that, as I said on, on, on here before, I, one of the things that I really value about him is is his decision making. He very, very rarely makes a poor decision about what to do with the ball, whether to play it to feet, whether to hook it into an area, whether to shoot or whether to pass. And also whether to tactically foul somebody, which I think he, he, he's really excellent at doing that and not kind of picking up huge numbers of bookings or anything of that. And he's also our best wind-up merchant. And I think that's a subtle art which goes <laughs> overlooked. But he does it to perfection, um, and I think he really gets under under some players' skins that he's playing against. So those are what I see as his kind of primary strengths. Yeah, it, it, I think the pressing side of things is really interesting because, like you said, you both mentioned his off the ball work. Joe Joe is going to come and talk about that as well. Um, but like you say, the 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 pressures um, he makes seventeen point eight pressures per game, which you know sounds like a lot, but um, it, that does come in under the again the uh, the average for his position in the top five leagues and then the, the, a few of others as well could that be because we dominate the possession though john um i don't yeah well when you when it comes to yeah when it comes to possession it's interesting right because we dominate possession 
but we also I think see a huge amount of turnover of possession. Yeah. Um. So it, the way that possession is is generally managed or, or, or uh, logged in these sorts of things is by pass pass uh, ratios so mm-hmm. you, you take the number of passes made and then and then you see the ratio between them and that's basically the same as possession time that's what a lot of outlets will yeah. do because it's obviously a lot easier to do than just have someone sitting there being like now there's a change of possession now there's a change of possession um but that means that what's happening is if we're turning the ball over a lot we're still having a lot of we're passing the ball a lot when we have it and then we're turning the ball back over yeah. quickly um when we when we don't have it so i think I don't think possession adjustment would change anything here because I think okay. we we st- we're still one of those teams who are seeing possession turned over as much. It's just that we press very high and intensely after we lose the ball sure. to try and win it back. Um, but like you say, like th- th- there's no way that anyone on our team is a bad presser because if you had a bad presser on our team, they wouldn't be in the team. Um, so I do think that there's probably some kind of noise in there. Um, it-, it may be the case that. One of the things that we've noted, what I noted in in the piece I wrote about Bielsa's defensive um, defensive game in in four leads anyway, is that we we sort of play short, sharp, intense pressures while opposition players, well, while while other teammates are getting um, touch tight really on on opposition players. So yeah. we have like a man orientated marking system, and then we'll have two or th- maybe one or two players pressing the ball immediately, giving their teammates the chance to then close down everyone else. Uh, it it could simply be the case that Mateusz Klick is is not often in a situation where he needs to do those press it, pressures, um, and and it could be the case that he's then doing a lot of the work in in marking. Like you said, you've already mentioned that you know he it seems as though he causes a lot of problem for players. Um, yeah. off the ball as well, and it, I don't know how they I don't know how these um, pressures are measured. It could be the case that it's only ball. Uh, centric. So if if you're pressing with uh, pressing someone with the ball, then it counts as a pressure. But if you're pressing someone off the ball, if you're trying to get touch tight in a man-oriented system, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, may yeah. not register it so much. So yeah. Um, but it's certainly something I'm gonna I'll, I'll have a watch and see um, why we have the sense that he's a good presser, but the, the stats don't necessarily back that up. But Joe, let's let's come into you. What 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 are the, some of the things that you want to talk about in terms of his strengths? Yeah, so there are there are a few things that I wanted to mention. Um, the first is obviously the off the ball work. Um, and I think you both have pretty much covered that. Um, there's one extra element that I wanted to say, which was that he he often drops into a Calvin Phillips position in, into into sort of the centre circle. If if Calvin Phillips ends up being in the wrong position, or he's getting dragged out wide, or he's under a lot of pressure, and there there would be a hole around the centre circle, Click seems to always have the awareness to think, right, I need to come in and receive this ball with the back to goal, and you know turn the turn the ball into a into a better position um so i think his awareness in that sense is absolutely fantastic and you guys have both covered that um another thing that i did want to talk about was um penalties which we darren mentioned earlier um his technique of this sort of Lewandowski style technique of waiting for the keeper to move um and and sending it the other way i know he missed that one against derby but that was actually well he he did he still went the other way to where the keeper dived so and in at his previous clubs he's also had a great history of scoring penalties so i think he could he could be our number one penalty taker in uh, next season and i'd love to see him take a few more um the the last thing was outside the box shooting um we can all remember some of the goals that the borough one i mentioned earlier there's the sheffield wednesday away i mm. think it is um 
I don't I don't think he's incredible at it, but I think he's one of the best players we have to, to do that. I think he, he's not afraid to have a go when he's sort of 25, 30 yards out. And I think you need that in a team. You need to test the keeper every now and then and you need to sort of change up our approach. And I think mm. he's a great player to have that variety. Yeah, I wonder whether this season he's had fewer of those just simply because... Um, other teams have not really allowed him the space to kind of pull the trigger in that way. I, th- I think there have been a lot of times when the ball's come back to him on the edge of the box and he's suddenly got three people in front of him and he's unable to kind of find the space for that shot. But I agree. I think I think he can strike a ball really cleanly. I think there's a sort of received wisdom in in terms of the XG age that we live in that you know you should only take chances when they are better chances um, but I think that there is a really interesting and important aspect of long distance shooting which is that it destabilizes defenses yeah. so um, if you know if a, if a defense knows that a player has has an okay long shot and will be willing to take long shots it destabilizes their defensive setup someone will have to probably push out and cover them and that can cause spaces then that even if you don't take the shot you can you can play the ball into that space and I think that's really important to have um, and I think again you know we've we've seen enough managers just say that leads are scripted and that's the sort of thing I think that can that, that can often um, result as a in in light of that fact that you know if you if you're expecting leads to be trying to take penalty box shots all the time it's quite nice to have someone who is willing to take shots outside the box so that yeah. actually adds another element so that so a team can think well we don't actually know what they're going to go do here and it just adds a little bit of uncertainty too uh, but yeah just one final thing for me just to reiterate the the spatial and positional awareness I mean everything that Leeds do is is uh, focused around manipulating space moving teams around creating superiorities so um, getting more players than the opposition have in in certain areas and it seems as though to me anyway that Mateusz Klik is very very good um, at, at that side of the game um, totally if you if you watch him he's, he's always moving he's always looking for space he's always um, assessing the situation to see whether or not the space he is in is the best space he could be in, um, and uh, I think it's well worth having a watch to, just to see his his movement in games um, because I think that's again that's one of his his real strengths. Right, let's move on to his weaknesses. Joe, do you want to kick this off? Let's let's go to you first here. Yeah, so uh, the first one we we sort of mentioned, um, which is his aerial ability um, for a player that's six foot tall. Um, he really doesn't have much aerial ability, I, I think. I'd, I don't think he scored any headed goals. I can't remember him doing anything in the air at all, really. Um, so that would that would be a definite weakness for me when, when you th- think about he probably is one of the taller players in the team, being over six foot, and uh, that, can, that can be something that uh, he could perhaps work on, considering that after Janssen left, we, we just basically had Cooper... Um, who was good in the air and, and that's it um, and then the other thing uh, which I think Darren will also mention but um, it's just he, he, he can give the ball away sometimes uh, under not much pressure I think after lockdown in the Cardiff game I remember seeing him give away two or three really really simple passes and in the position that he plays uh, you really have to take care of those and sort of keep those unforced errors down to a absolute minimum because it will just allow uh, the opposition to counter-attack us really easily. I, I agree with Joe about that thing where he, he does occasionally give the ball away and it, under no pressure so it's kind of an unforced error but but I think I think it's a minor thing I don't think it happens that often but um, they can, it, it, it can be a bit frustrating 
Um, I felt like he was pretty poor in the first couple of games after lockdown. I thought he was noticeably the worst player for the first few games. And I, I just wondered whether that, that, came, that kind of indicates something around a loss of momentum on, and sharpness. I think he did eventually get it back. Um, and I think the other the other minor criticism I would have of him, have of him is that he's not a great ball winner for someone that plays in the midfield. So when when he goes in for a tackle, it, it I, it's not someone who I think yeah he's going to come away with the ball like I do with Forshaw or like I do with with Phillips. Um, and I I know that's kind of not his primary role, but but very often players will just sort of can get past him. Um, but they're all very minor criticisms, I think. Hmm. Yeah, and I don't really have much much to add to that. I think, I think the the issues that we have with Click generally end up becoming personnel issues that we have elsewhere. So we we have we have Click in the team for a very specific role, and sometimes he has to cover for E.G. for sure. Um, so there's a few times where we would have Click and um, and Shackleton in in the middle. Yeah, um, and Click is doing a job there that he's not suited for in my opinion um and so it's then then those sorts of weaknesses that we've already mentioned start start standing out a little bit more um but you know again that's a it's a very minor criticism and probably says a little bit more about squad depth than 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 anything there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, so that's Mateusz Klich. Hopefully there was some something of interest in there for you. We're going to move on to a player who no doubt everyone has an opinion about, uh, which is Patrick Bamford, Leeds United's number nine. Um, in terms of his career, he follows a very specific pathway, which I would describe as being Chelsea youth player. Um, so he starts off at Nottingham Forest and makes two appearances for them before being bought by Chelsea in 2012. Uh, it was quite a tidy sum, I can't remember what it was, but it, was, uh, it wasn't cheap. Uh, he then did the, the inevitable go-out on loan that Chelsea youth players did in that era, so MK Dons for, I think it was just a couple of seasons, overla- I think he overlapped maybe, or he, certainly MK Dons wanted him back, that's under Carl Robinson. Um, he plays 37 times for them and gets 18 goals, which isn't a particularly bad um turnover uh he has a loan spell at derby county um and then a loan spell at middlesbrough where he plays 38 times and scores 17 goals in the league um which is again another good um 
uh, rate of return and that eventually gets him a, a signing to Middlesbrough just before he goes to Leeds. Uh, but before that, more more loan spells, now increasingly short loan spells. So six games uh, for Palace, six, seven games for Norwich City, um, six games for Burnley. All of these loans I've heard described as disasters. Um, I spoke to Adam Brandon actually on um, the Patreon bonus episode this week just looking at Norwich City's last season um, and see if Leeds can learn anything about um, about the Premier League from Norwich and he described uh, Bamford's appearances for Norwich as some of the worst he's seen in uh, anyone in a Norwich shirt so that gives you an, an, the um, the extent to which people didn't really enjoy these these sorts of loan periods and I, I guess the sparse number of appearances between them um, really explains that um, f- then goes to Middlesbrough, as we know, uh, brought by brought by An- Ita Karanka and has two seasons there. 47 appearances, 12 goals in the league. Um, and then moves to Leeds United. Uh, and th- as, th- as we know, the rest is history. Um, I should mention that he has um, the potential to play for England or the Rep- Republic of Ireland. He has uh, appearances for Republic of Ireland under-18s. Um, and then appearances for youth system for England as well from under 18s to under 21s. I can't see him playing for the full England team anytime soon. It's Sorry a controversial opinion, that John. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. Um, yeah, Darren, what's your what's your take on the on the um, on the Bamford career so far? Completely agree. It's the kind of typical Chelsea Chelsea youth player bouncing around on loan, not really settling anywhere. Um, un- until until his spell at Middlesbrough, and then and then obviously playing quite often playing out wide in a four four two three one type system. Um, I think what what's clear is that when he's been played as a number nine at any stage of his career consistently, he's done reasonably well, um, and and that includes his spell at Leeds. In my humble opinion, <laughs> it's kind of similar to Click in a way, in that he's he sort of darted around various different clubs and. He he did have that successful loan spell at Middlesbrough, but he didn't really shine until he's until he came to Leeds. And now that Bielsa's sort of uh, been on his case, they they he, they both look like completely different players. And yeah, I'm excited to get into this a bit deeper later on. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you know you look at Cleek and we said that he's got these other interests and these other parts of his life, and I think that you could say the same about Bamford. You know, he's, he's he plays. All the musical instruments, some of them to quite high standard. He seems to come from a very different background from from many footballers. Um, I, I think he's quite an interesting character too. Mm. Yeah, I think he is, and uh, you know, I think again, much like Matthias Click, Bamford is a player who a lot of the stuff that he does well is really not valued, um, and. Uh, I, I think on the basis of that, both of them, I think both of them don't look like ballers. Um, if that means anything, but I'm I'm fascinated in in so far as how even when you look at everything that Bamford's doing, we'll talk about his stats later. He's just sort of the perfect striker for for Marcelo Bielsa and Marcelo Bielsa teams, with the exception that he could probably finish a little bit better. Um, but as we'll talk about that as well, even that's not a given necessarily. Um, so I do find Bamford a really really interesting player. I think he's he's I think he's had a fantastic season. Um, with the historic underperformance of XG notwithstanding. Um, and, uh, you know, any other season he could have 
hit his average XG, in which case he's scoring, what, 25 goals in the league. No one's complaining. Um, so I do think with, with all that in mind, he's a really fascinating player to look at. And I'm glad we've got the chance to to have a talk about him. And hopefully we don't just end up getting bogged down in discussions of XG. Um, but yeah, let's talk about our first memories of him. What's the what's the first memory that you have of, of Pat Bamford? So I think me and Darren have the same one here. Um, this is the hat-trick against Leeds uh, when he was playing for Borough. Um, and I do remember thinking that, uh, you know, this guy, this guy looks good. Um, when I was watching that game, you know, this guy can really finish. And then I watched the highlights this morning. Um, and actually I didn't, I didn't think any of the goals were really that good. Um, God, we were poor defensively, weren't we? We were, yeah, massively, massively. The first, the first goal he scores, he sort of gets round Janssen and just toe pokes in a finish. You know, that's, that's good. The second one, it's just Traore. He, he he runs from his own half, and and he he's doing this at Wolves all the time. But he just runs, and no one even puts a foot in. No one takes a tactical yellow. And then Traore he... running directly at Union O'Kane. Who'd have thunk that had gone wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just Traore makes it, and and Bamford shoots straight at uh, Riedwald. I think it is. Um, who's never who's never got a chance with that. And then the third goal is an open net uh, because it's a massive deflection and then he just puts it the other side of the keeper. So actually I think uh, my memory of that hat-trick is uh, a bit more blurry and a bit more sort of positive towards him being the best player I've ever seen than, uh, than <laughs> yeah. it actually is. Yeah. yeah, I think similar for me, there was there was that hat-trick, um, which was the only real, real time I was aware of him because I, I don't think I was any more aware of him than I am of any of the other... 7,000 learnies Chelsea have got out at any given time. So I'll choose a different one, which is my first memory of him in a Leeds shirt, um, which was he played in the League Cup at home to Bolton. Uh, and it's the only match I've ever taken my wife to, and she didn't enjoy it very much, but that's a different story. Uh, it was, wasn't because of Patrick Bamford, I have to tell you. Um, and my first memory of him in a Leeds shirt is Samu Saiz dancing past someone in the midfield and kind of flipping a ball over the centre-half. Bamford had made this beautiful run in behind him and was left with an open goal from four yards and swung at it with his right foot completely missed the ball, went out for a goal kick. And then about three minutes later, he nutmegged, some, nutmegged one of the Bolton defenders on the edge of the box and slotted it into the bottom corner from 20 yards. And that's kind of Bamford in microcosm for me, that the, that that first 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it was of his Leeds career. Yeah, and, and that is him, isn't it? He is very much a, um, a bit of an enigma. Um, but, you know, I, have, I love Pat and so... Um, I, I I should just put that out as a caveat. Sorry if this turns turns out to be me being biased towards him, but I do think he's a great player, and um, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting talking about his strengths and weaknesses later. Um, yeah, in, in terms of um, uh, the the memories we have, what's your what's your favourite memory of him um, as as a Leeds fan? Uh, Darren, we'll kick off with you. Um, my favourite memory of him is the, the celebrations after he scored the penalty at home to Blackburn after the 10-game drought earlier this season. And I think the reason that's my favourite memory is because if you look at Twitter, you look at Facebook, you look at any of the social media channels, you would think that Leeds fans absolutely detest Patrick Bamford. But what it showed to me was that the fans in the stadium are always, always, always behind him. And I've never, ever seen a penalty celebrated like that. It felt like it went on for about 15 minutes. I mean, it was probably not that long, but it was it was absolutely incredible. And he, he loved it, we loved it, and it was just a really beautiful moment. Mm. 
That was a good game for him, actually. I think that's probably my favourite memory too, because he he sets up Jack Harrison as well, if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah. Um, with a with a lovely little dink pass as well, and I think that was the end of yeah. You've said it's the end of a long drought, and it sort of felt we were two nil up at, at half time. I think thinking, oh, you know, maybe we'll get a few goals. It's been a bit of a drag for Leeds that in, in that sort of period to to win games, and it just felt as though oh, this could be comfortable. We yeah. ended up drawing, uh, winning one. Two one, um, but even still, I think at that half time it was just everything felt great. It felt like Bamford was going to score loads, and we turned a corner, and that was going to be be that. But Joe, what about you? What's your favourite memory? I think mine is uh, his performance against Millwall at home, uh, the three two win, um, and he scored two goals in that game. And after the second, after the winner, um, him doing this sort of cupping his ear celebration or covering his ears, I guess it is. Um, yeah. And obviously that was in a, a great game to watch because I was ecstatic at the end. And then all everything that followed from that celebration, I just thought was absolutely hilarious because there were people I'd never seen anyone sort of try to decipher a celebration as much as they did. So they're saying <laughs> maybe maybe he's putting his hands over his ears because the noise is just so loud in Ellen Road, and that's just his way of saying the fans are so good. And then there's other people saying, oh. No, he's saying like "fuck the haters," and you know, I just thought that whole thing was brilliant, and and I was just buzzing after the game anyway. So yeah, that's my favourite memory of him. I think I think Chris Wood, Roof, and Bamford have all done that in consecutive seasons. Really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. That, that says a lot more about the fan base. Than else. <laughs> um, yeah, we should mention at this point that Bamford is an interesting guy as well, right? He's um, uh, he obviously comes from a from uh, I think he would describe it as as a, as a more privileged background, but he's again we've mentioned it with Click, but he has he has some interesting extra extracurricular activities. He tries to learn a lot of different musical instruments. He um, is conversational in I think Spanish, Italian, French, maybe something like that. Three languages. Um, he's a fascinating guy. He's a he's clearly a smart guy. He had the uh, chance to go to Harvard to do a football scholarship there. Um, so yeah, I think. That there's a fascinating uh, angle to him as well and you know he's easily one of the most eloquent footballers in post-match interviews um which yeah as we we we, we might point out is not saying a lot but uh, <laughs> i do think that he is i do think that he is um he always gives interesting and fascinating insights into games i, I remember watching him um give a post-match interview after the barnsley game and i thought he was um after we'd just been clonked from pillar to post by the Barnsley press and uh, it was just just a really interesting insight into what it's like playing um playing in a game like that and um certainly someone I value in terms of his his general output his um his willingness to stand up for black lives matter um and to be an ally for for black people as well which is remarkable uh, in many respects too in a in a world of football that where a lot of players would rather just that sort of stuff went away so yeah, yeah. Um, well absolutely worth- well worth mentioning that. Right, in terms of his best game in the lead shirt, I think we're probably all going to agree on this, um, which was West Brom at Shelby and at home this season. I watched that game back this week and he was a man on a mission in that game. Um, he pressed relentlessly. He he never gave up um, and was a big part of why we uh, got a draw in that game. So both of you presumably are going to echo this. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, totally relentless, uh, and and that was a kind of it, it was kind of thankless for him really because he didn't really get many chances, wasn't wasn't really there in front of goal. But in terms of the work that he did for the team, it was absolutely remarkable. 
Yeah, and it's summed up very very well by his uh, post-match interview. Um, every, everyone should go and check that out again because uh, you can just see him panting so hard and sort of coughing and, and it just looks like he's that's the hardest he's ever ran and hardest he's ever worked on the pitch you know, in his life. And it's actually really nice to see because it just shows the the 110% that he was putting in to that game was just unbelievable. Yeah, right. So let's move on to the scouting section quickly. Um, I'll just give a stats overview for you guys. So this season, Patrick Bamford played 3,672 minutes in the championship. Um, in terms of his, his stats, I think the the thing that, again, same as with Mateusz Klick, in fact, they're very similar players in, in, in this regard. They What stands out for me is his, his production. Um, he... Uh, Obviously, in front of goal, we know that he gets a lot of chances. So the average um, chance quality of his shots this season with with feet was 0.18 uh, xg, which is very good. So like most of the chances, he's getting a one in five chances. Um, he also put up 0.14 xg per game this this season, which is which is pretty uh, remarkable. Pretty that puts him just outside the 95th percentile. Um, Touches per shot, he is very good for. He doesn't mess around on the ball. He had 18.2 touches per shot um, this season. So again, he's very efficient in that regard. And the other standout metrics in this regard, uh, in terms of him producing stuff, is pass entries received into the box, 3.2 per game, which is a very good figure. So uh, every every game he's getting 3.2 um, passes into his feet in the, in, the, in the box. And the other thing is through balls received, um, 0.6 per game, which is, which is again just outside the 95th percentile. So he's very much an efficient, productive um, fulcrum. He's a linchpin of the Leeds attack, and and a lot of the attack goes through him. Um, so um, we've talked. About, we'll talk about this as well, no doubt, when we talk about his weaknesses in terms of finishing. But um, the received wisdom in terms of statistical analysis is that actually the biggest variant when it comes to um, goal scorers is their ability to get into the right places to create chances. Um, you're much more likely to score chances by being in the right place than you are by fluffing chances um, which is what I think a lot of Leeds fans think that that um, Bamford does so the reason why he's in the team is because he is that fulcrum he does get into the right places he does um, uh, he does uh, give himself every opportunity to score a lot and um, as we're, again we'll talk in the weaknesses you know you're not statistically likely to have bad um, r- rates of return on xg from one season to the next so it could be the case that in the premier league bamford um actually hits his xg targets much more effectively in which case um you know he'll be the the perfect striker for for Leeds united the other outstanding metric is high pressing actions so he puts up nine high pressing actions per game and 9.1 other defensive actions per game as well but the high pressing actions obviously is standout which is again why marcelo bielsa likes him in the team so that's the statistical um, summary of, of his season this season. Um, let's go to you, Darren. What do you say that his strengths are? Well, because I'm a dour, defensive-minded type of person, um, for me, it's it's always his pressing. Um, he's absolutely tireless. I think he might well be our most important defender. Um, <laughs> he never lets the centre-halves or the goalkeeper settle on the ball. You know, he presses presses the ball well and cuts off the cuts off the passing lanes mm. 
you know, really consistently. Um, I felt that last season we had a clear weakness where one of their centre-halves could often carry the ball deep into our half without being challenged because of our man-marking system. But this year, Bamford's tracked them every step of the way and I've, there have been very few occasions when I've noticed a, a yeah. centre-half from the opposition striding into our half. I can only really remember Van der Hoen in the home game against Swansea uh, causing that problem for us. Um, there have been loads of occasions during the season where Bamford's made a vital or goal-saving challenge in our box um, during an opposition break. The the most recent one being the one against Fulham that got Scotty Parker all dewy-eyed and I think was the reason why Bielsa ended up doing the no uh, thing which which is your favourite gif I think John um, so I, th- I think that's that's a real clear thing for me but other than that obviously it's the kind of the fulcrum that he is for the team he's absolutely irreplaceable in Bielsa's system I think I think that he will start the Premier Premier League season um, he he gets in great positions all the time and and has so many chances and that absolutely does not happen by accident. I think that's what we need to remember. So chances don't come to him just because he happens to be in the right place at the right time. It's because he makes intelligent movements and makes himself available to certain types of, of, um, of passes and, and crosses. Absolutely. I mean, this that's that's completely the reason why he was still starting every game when the fans were calling for Nketiah to start. Um, and he was on a long drought at that point, I believe. And um, yeah, he was starting every game because of his incredible work rate and his his incredible pressing. Um, it was it was mentioned in your piece, John, on the All Stats Aren't We account, the the principles of Leeds United's defense defensive system. Um, so for anyone who hasn't read that, that definitely check it out because um, it just it based what it's explaining and is well a lot a lot of things. But the thing that's that I've been clued up on now is how we have. The extra central defensive, uh, well, the central defender uh, against the number of strikers for the opposition. So that basically, it means that Bamford has to press two players at once. And when you go back and you look at all the games and you see him doing these curved runs, um, and he and he's able to mark and press sort of both players simultaneously and cut out one of the passing lanes. I think that's a fantastic skill that he he does incredibly well, and he obviously did this better than Nketiah did which is why he's he's been in the team and I agree with Darren that he will be starting in the Premier League in a few weeks time how do we feel about that do you would you would anyone take uh, an improved striker do you think that sort of thing exists or we, we again is it a sort of Ben White scenario in reverse where you say you know he understands the system better than anyone else will at this point that's it for me and the other thing that I've I've kind of got a hunch about is that we're going to create fewer chances in the Premier League and if we create fewer chances I think his uh, he might score more closely to his XG um, it's just a hunch and I, you know, I don't know whether there's any statistical evidence to back that up but I just wonder if getting so many chances makes him a bit lax occasionally on on, on taking them hmm. I don't. I don't think I'd necessarily be opposed to eventually seeing him being displaced by a different striker. I think he deserves to start the season, and I think he deserves to to sort of show what he's show what he's made of against top opposition. But I think I'm maybe the opposite to Darren in that I do worry when you think about him coming up against Edison, Allison, Pope, Henderson. You know, great goalkeepers and great centre backs like Laporte and. Van Dyke and Laporte's always injured. I won't worry about that. Oh well, yeah, 
and I have just picked like the the best players in the league. So, um, what about know. John Stones? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might he might be okay against John Stones. So hopefully, <laughs> City get a lot of injuries again. But yeah, it it does worry me a bit. Um, but I think he deserves to start the season, show what he's made of, and then if we do get a second striker in that sort of had enough time to develop under Bielsa, then I wouldn't. If if Bamford isn't performing, then you know, I don't have much of a problem with seeing how the second striker copes with the 90 minutes or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's important to remember, Joe, that, we, you know, we don't play against Van Dijk every week. Uh, yeah. That actually a, a lot of... I, 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 I'm one of these people that ne- doesn't necessarily think the standard of much of the Premier League is, is, is all that good. Um, so I, th- I think he will get joy in, in a lot of the matches that we play. Yeah, that's mm. true. I was maybe a bit unfair picking all the best players, but... <laughs> <laughs> But can he do it on a cold Tuesday night? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, sorry, Darren, to cut you off there. Doesn't matter. I was just going to do a crap joke, which I won't bother doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's go into talk about weaknesses. And um, I'll, I'll presage this by saying, look, we, we know what his weakness is with shooting. Um, as I've said, I don't think there's any statistically significant evidence that a player will have a good season per XG one season and then a bad season the, the next and then a good season again the next season so if just because you have a good season one season doesn't mean you're going to have a good season the next season and equally the same is true the other way around so just because you had a bad season doesn't necessarily mean that you will have a bad season the following season um so that's that that presages that one thing that we have noticed i think is that you know there are there are issues with with perhaps his shooting josh hobbs i know has done i think before the transfer window sort of um, kibosh does in terms of having to cover loads of different rumours and stuff um, Josh was looking at Bamford's finishing um, in the Premier League when he's played there or, or within other teams as well and both Josh and I are of the opinion that, that Bamford is a much better finisher when he's a front what we call a front foot finisher so if he's running onto the ball he, he, he seems a much more um, uh, effective striker and I think a lot of the stuff that Leeds were doing last season was sort of giving him fiddly um, efforts in the box and I just th- I, I just think that you know if you can get him you know the the, the finish that he had against Blackburn Rovers um, in the run-in is one that st- sticks out in my mind where Click lays him through and then he just runs onto it strokes it into the bottom corner I think he can do that all day long and I think if we can start putting him in situations where that can happen then I think we'll probably see a fairly nice turnaround in his conversion rate the hat trick he scored against us for Middlesbrough were all chances like that where he was able to run onto the ball Right, Darren. Let's go through these. Um, let's go through these weaknesses then. Yeah, I kind of have two really. I mean, the first one is 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 probably the most one-footed striker that I've ever seen, and that if the ball comes to his right foot, I kind of just put my hands over my eyes and just just wait for the <clears throat> from <laughs> from the crowd. Um, so I think that I mean most players, it, it would be fair to say, are, are, you know, very pre- predominantly one foot or the other. But but I think it is. His right foot is a real problem. Um, and the other thing that I, I kind of noticed is that um, we've all expressed frustration on this channel about about the crossing of, of, of our team. And particularly, John, I know that you've had a lot of frustrations with Jack Harrison in that in that regard. I, I sometimes wonder whether what we need is, is a player demanding a certain type of cross with a certain type of run. And I don't think Bamford is that player. I don't think he does that. So I remember reading a few years ago, I read a, a thing, I can't even remember what it was now, but it was a piece with, with Gary Lineker where he said that, that 
commentators always used to say, oh, he made the right run at the right time there, when in fact what he'd been doing is he'd been making the same run time and time and time again until the ball eventually found him. And I don't feel Bamford is a player is a player that, that makes that kind of run, um, which makes our, our crossing look more frustrating than perhaps it possibly is. A couple of things that uh, we have mentioned before on this podcast... Um... There's the thing that you were just mentioning, John, in the in in his shooting ability, and I was looking back on a, on a few of his goals, and even some of the ones that are tappings on the line, he he nearly misses. It's really you know the the one at Millwall at home, he's sort of one yard out, and he nearly skies it over the bar, and then the Wigan away one, I sort yeah, of cringe every time I I watch it because it falls, it's an open net, and he just slices it into the side netting, and I, I just think, oh, he's so lucky there because. If he'd missed, it would have been the worst miss ever. Um, so I think that's just more about how he, like you say, he's better when he's running on, onto the ball and not so good in particular scenarios. Um, and the other thing uh, is is pace. Uh, the, one of his weaknesses, you know, I think his all round game is is great, and I don't. I'm not saying that he needs to sort of do sprinting training to become any faster because I just think that's not part of his game. But he's not. He isn't the type of player that will make. Uh, runs in behind and that you'll trust to sort of beat the centre back um, and sort of have a go and run at people and that's, that might not be his identity as a player but um, it, we still have to identify it as a bit of a weakness and it's it's for that reason why sometimes we do see him coming out wide and letting Costa sort of do the running through the middle. I think he can go at a fair clop once he gets going, I just think it, perhaps his acceleration from a standing start or his, or his you know his change of pace isn't necessarily that strong because um, there are times when he's kind of bearing down on a defender pressing and he looks like he's he's moving really quickly so uh, yeah I, I hear what you're saying I just wonder whether it's acceleration rather than pure pace so yeah I think that could I, be right. I don't think he's the quickest player in the world by, by any stretch <laughs> but I also think that you know and and our transfer strategy reflects this that we haven't scored enough goals from those two wide players um, and I think we would like to see that happening more. I, I I don't think there's an issue with your striker not being quick. If you if your striker is a good hold up player and can drop deep and play the ball back to someone who yeah. can then find one of the wide players, um, we did we did experiment a little bit this season with Bamford off long goal kicks pushing out wide and Costa going central as a sort of um, quick striker. But we haven't done that much since midway through the season. Um, but I think I I genuinely think that the problem that Bielsa is trying to solve at the moment is how do I get more people scoring? Yeah, um, and that's why if you look at the transfer rumours, that a lot of them seem to be players who can play wide and have a good um, goal scoring record in the last couple of seasons, um, which is sounds basic, but it's what we need to do. I think there's a realization that in the Premier League we're not going to be able to play quite as flamboyantly in the middle we're going to have to make sure that we're, our two central midfielders are are solid defensively um, I think Bielsa will be desperate for Forshaw to be available when the season starts um, whether or not that's going to happen I don't know but um, I think he'll want that level of control that we saw at the beginning of last season and if you're going to do that then you need to have your, your outlets need to be wide players um, and if we don't have that then uh, wide players who can score then yeah we're, we're going to have these problems but we're in danger of not talking about Patrick Bamford anymore but uh, any final thoughts on 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 Bamford's weaknesses I would say um his his aerial ability um again that's something I mentioned with click but um he isn't one of those number nine that's that's number nines that score a lot of headers 
um, and I think that would that would uh, pay dividends to to work on just because of the team, like I mentioned before, that our team just isn't one that is good in the air. Um, and then obviously the the final weakness, which is a gaping hole in his uh, footballing <laughs> ability, is lobs from outside the box at Loftus Road uh, specifically, mm. which is yeah <laughs> he, he he can improve on in that area. <laughs> Right, well, if no one else has anything else to say, then this is the end of this podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the the scouting report format. I've certainly enjoyed going through and watching these players in in more detail. Um, I think we'll carry on doing this for the next few weeks anyway, at least. Um, So we will have a poll out at some point for next week's episode. So have a think about who it is that you would like us to do a little bit more of an in-depth look at in the Leeds squad. Um, Other than this... If you like our content and want to have more and more in-depth content, then head over to our Patreon uh, where we have uh, various pieces of content out. This week we've put a lot out. I had a scouting report out on Arta Cabral, the Brazilian striker who we've been linked with. Uh, We've also got a Patreon bonus episode over there on, as I've mentioned, Norwich City and what Leeds can learn from Norwich's season in the Premier League last season. Um, There's a piece up this morning on uh, the under-23s from a tactical perspective and looking at the comparisons between the way the 23s play in the first team and yeah there there should be lots of other um, content going up there all the time if you're interested in doing that then um, head over to patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we three people who have done that this week are James Levi Al Henderson and Nye Canham so thank you guys for joining us for the ride now all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Darren thank you very much thanks to Joe cheers And we'll be back next week with a little bit more scouting reports for you. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.